Well, good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we're going to be having a look at our Harvard Business Review reports and a couple of little items there that can help us build our business. We're also talking with Christina Sikiatis with our discussion on innovation, looking at uh, sole operators and how they can uh, maybe improve their innovation a little bit. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Emma Wolfenden from Baker Love Lawyers about business succession. Good afternoon, Emma. Hi, Julian. How are you going? I'm very well. Thank you once again for joining us. Yes, lovely to speak to you again. So, uh, business succession or preparing your business for sale, what what does it mean when people talk about business succession? Well, when we talk about business succession, we're talking about ensuring that people have an exit strategy from their business. And that's about so much more than what most people think, just having a valid will in place. Mm. That's not enough. What people need to be considering are the three Ds, which are departure, death, and disability or illness. As far as death and disability go, these are obviously normally unexpected and difficult to plan for. But having said that, business operators can always have insurances in place to protect them financially in the event of something unfortunate happening. But what we are more interested in talking about today is the first D, which we call departure, which is when a business operator either wants to retire or just sell their business. So if a business operator is thinking about retiring or or just selling up, what would be the first step that they would need to take? When When someone, rather, is thinking about perhaps retiring or selling up, the first thing that they need to do is identify who their successor is going to be. So who's the person that's going to take their place and run the business? Now, there isn't always someone who's an obvious successor, so it is important to start planning early so that somebody can be identified. If a business doesn't have an obvious successor, it's very important to ensure that a business is developed in such a way that it's set up that for somebody else to run and so to ensure people can receive the maximum value for their equity. Ways to do that include having strong procedures in place and ensuring that you've got very strong customer relationships within the business, but most importantly, you should be doing everything you can to make sure that the business is in the strongest financial position it can be and people can talk to their financial advisors about that. So when you say successor, you're including a buyer in that too, aren't you? We are, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so what would be the key things that I'd need to be considering once you've got a buyer in place? Once you've got a buyer in mind, the very first thing you need to determine is whether or not the buyer is going to be purchasing shares in a company that's running a business or if they're going to be purchasing just the business itself. There are pros and cons to each scenario, um, but these are things that operators should discuss with their professional advisors as to what's best for them. Once that issue has been determined, uh, a lawyer should draw up a contract for the sale and there are a number of things that need to go into that contract aside from the obvious commercial stuff like the purchase price. So um, when you, we, you say that we've, we've got obvious um, things in place, what happens if they haven't got some of those things in place? Like uh, you know, financials are often a, a challenge, aren't they? They are often a challenge, um, and it, it all comes back to the planning, really. Um, when, if you, when you say don't have financials in place, are you referring to actual reports or 
Yeah, sort of. Uh, some very small businesses are not always good at keeping good financial records. That's true. That's true. They should be keeping some financial records, though, for their taxation purposes. Yes. Um, so they should certainly say their accountant about that, and they'll be able to help them sort it out. Yeah, and obviously, but it's something that they need to consider if they're in their lead-up process, I suppose, to selling, is to make sure that they start to, to systemise things if they haven't already done so. So, so what are some of the other issues that a business operator needs to be aware of? Um, well, the two issues that we see most often are in relation to uh, the vendor's ongoing involvement with the business um, and the issue of restraints. And so they often lead to not disputes but disagreement. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're both issues that are important to discuss early on. Often there will be a disparity between what the parties expect is going to happen with the outgoing business operator's involvement once the business has been sold. You'll often find that usually, and particularly if they're retiring, the outgoing operator won't want to have any further involvement once the sale's been completed, Hmm. but usually the purchaser will want some sort of transition or training period to occur, so it's important to get that sorted out early on. Hmm. Uh, The second other common issue we see is vastly different views on what appropriate restraints would be for it to be included in the contract. And these relate to things like the time and the distance and what the outgoing operator is permitted to do after the sale has been completed. Usually the outgoing operator will want a narrow restraint clause so that they're not restricted in what they do in future for work, whereas the purchaser will want the restraints to be as broad and inclusive as possible so they don't have to worry about competition from the outgoing business owner. So, yeah, so this is the, to prevent the uh, outgoing business owner from setting up and going into competition again. Yep, yep. And, and it is particular in certain industries, isn't it? Like, uh, for example, hairdressing where uh, um, clients or customers tend to follow a particular hairdresser. That's exactly right, yeah. So, so yeah, you need to make sure that's all discussed. So it's usually done in a in a time time thing, is it? Uh, yeah, usually there'll be some sort of determination as um, you know a time frame that the outgoing operator can't operate within a certain vicinity, whether that be depending on what sort of location we're talking about, whether mm. that be ten kilometres or two kilometres or whatever it is. Mm. Um, and there's usually also restraints about them not being allowed to approach their previous customers of the business. Yeah. So are there any other issues of particular importance when a business is being sold? Uh, the only other particularly important thing would be talking, raising the matter of employees as early oh, yes. on as possible in negotiations and whether the incoming operator is going to want to keep on the existing employees or bring in some of their own, or maybe keep some of the existing employees, because it'll need to be sorted out whether or not uh, the existing employees are required to be given their notice, or if the purchaser does want to keep them on. Um, It's a good thing to know early, because there'll have to be adjustments for the employees' entitlements, and that can get a little bit tricky. And, of course, it also depends on the structure of the the business too, doesn't it? That's exactly right, and how the incoming operator is going to run it. Uh, Yeah, okay. Well, thanks very much for your time, Emma. Um, And uh, you've got a workshop coming up that talks about this subject? That's That's right. Our firm has a seminar, a free seminar, coming up on the 13th of November. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's interested in hearing more about that, they can go to our website or contact the office. Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks again, Emma, and we'll have a chat with you another time. Thanks very much, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Emma Wolfenden then from uh, 
Baker Love Lawyers. Yes, it is important, and, and I think particularly now uh, there's a lot of people uh, thinking of um, selling their business, or, or the older baby boomers are getting to the stage where they, their business is their retirement and they do need to move on. So it's important that we do uh, get it in a position that we can sell it or find a successor and uh, also get some of those systems in place so that we can get the best possible benefit. And you're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. It's coming up to 24 minutes past four. Past one, sorry. Time to cross over to Christina Sikiatis. Good afternoon, Christina. Hi, Julian. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Didn't mean to scare people by saying it was nearly four o'clock. <laughs> I was going to say, we could have done this quite some time ago. <laughs> so we, we, we've talked over the months about innovative team building sessions and things like that in larger companies. What if we're a sole trader and I haven't really got a team to come up with innovative ideas? Interesting that you should say that, Julian, because we've recently had a group of sole traders um, around a table and we were encouraging them to share um, ideas. Now, often that's a, a, a bit difficult for some people because they feel quite protective about their product or their IP, things like that. Um, but in this instance, we had three very unlike businesses sitting around a table. Uh, and what I really enjoyed was the fact that they started sharing ideas and started sharing um, problems. They were coming up with solutions for um, each other's problems, which I thought was, was a, a great collaborative thing to do. Um, and the, what, I think what really struck me was how easy it was for them to look at someone else's problem and think clearly of a solution that, that's possible, but when it came to their own situation, it was a lot more difficult mm. to come up with a, with, a, with a solution to their problem. So, yeah, um, and as we both know... Go on, sorry. I was going to say, often you, can't see, you can see other people's viewpoints easier than you can your own, can't you? Absolutely, and, and because you're so close to your product, I think it's harder... Um, to find to find where the hole is in it in the first place, and therefore it's a bit it, the problem isn't identified as clearly as it is for you maybe when you're looking at someone else's problem. So therefore the solution doesn't come as easily. Mm. And of course it is important to identify the problem. And and what often happens is that habit comes in, doesn't it? We've always done it this way, or we're so used to things being we we can't see the the uh, outside of that. That's right. The other thing we often hear about are assumptions. So people people might assume, for example, one of one of the businesses was talking about um, a funding thing that had been withdrawn from a, uh, their particular industry, uh, and I said to him, "So this is going to affect you?" He said, "Yes, we'll be we'll be affected because the funding has been withdrawn." I said, "What is going on here is that you're assuming that the, there'll be a, an effect on your industry because the funding has been withdrawn. Now let's turn that around." And in turning it around, in turning his thought process around. It was amazing the ideas that actually came up from the other members that were sitting around the table. So once it was identified as an assumption and not something that was set in stone, uh, the thinking around that changed as well. And, and of course, the advantage of having a group of people um, who might have different backgrounds is that uh, they've got different experiences and different uh, exposure to things, haven't they? 
That's right, and it relates back to what we were saying um, last week about design thinking. So, you know, the the perfect thing that David Kelly was talking about with design thinking was having the the strategist and the marketer and the um, musician, the scientist and the engineer around a table sharing um, problems and coming up with solutions, building on one idea after another idea to come up with different ways forward. Uh, and you know, it's the it's the way forward really. It was identified again, harping back to the joined up innovation um, report that came out. There's, a, there's an, a surge of entrepreneurs, solo traders coming out at the moment. Uh, it's going to be a continuing trend, and it's a really good time to be an entrepreneur and an innovator at the moment. It's a really, um, it's a really good time to be out there putting new product uh, in the marketplace because people are open to it. So, uh, you know, I mean, this is nothing new. Napoleon Hill, I think, spoke about having a power group and, and selecting a group of people that you could meet with on a weekly or a monthly basis to do probably just that. That, that's right. It is, and you know, a lot of this, um, the, the conversations that we have, uh, are based on things that are have been practiced by some people or another at certain points in history, even. Uh, and there is a resurgence towards sharing all that collateral as opposed to keeping it to yourself. Yeah, even, even Benjamin Franklin was one of those thinkers too. Well, thanks very much for your time again. We'll have a chat again next week. We shall. I look forward to it. Have Thank a great you. week. Bye bye. Bye. Christina Sikiat is there. That's an interesting point, isn't it, as a sole operator? Get a power group together and we can get some of that innovation happening. Well, it's time to have a look at a couple of our uh, tips from the Harvard Business Review. This one here is one that we probably don't do enough of, giving people pats on the back. It says, give credit and do it fairly. People want their contributions to be acknowledged. But fairly assigning credit is difficult in collaborative environments where several people come up with new ideas together. If you want to eliminate resentment over recognition, you need to give credit the right way. The individual recognition to the overall success of the group. This reduces tension over who did what and reinforces teamwork. Recognise results instead of activities. Align your reward systems with the outcomes you want, not the metrics like length of service or attendance that may not have a direct bearing on those outcomes. And embrace risk-taking by recognising team efforts even if something fails. This will encourage people to learn and improve more. Those pats on the back, just such good motivators, aren't they? And we talked about negotiation last week. Let's have a little look at this one. Smart negotiators know when to take breaks. A good negotiator asks for time out when he or she needs to regroup. If you're not sure what to do next, if you get annoyed and need to calm down, or if you want to consult with colleagues who aren't at the table, don't hesitate to take a break. It helps to step away briefly and evaluate the situation, especially if you learn something unexpected at the negotiating table. A break can be anywhere from 10 minutes to a few days. If you're concerned about sending the wrong signal, just ask for a chance to use the bathroom, check your email or grab a cup of coffee. But it's, a, it's less awkward if you establish up front that either you or, or either of you can call a break at any time. That way, it doesn't look odd if you ask for time out right after your counterpart has suggested an option you don't like. So a couple of little interesting comments there. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. If you're thinking of selling or uh, moving out of a business retirement, make sure you've got your business succession in place, particularly those systems that will make your business attractive and easy for somebody else to take over. 
In a moment, James Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Uh, next week, we'll have that Minute on Innovation with Christina and look at some other more legal and business news and views that might help you grow your business. I'd love your company again at the same time for business, the law and you. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Dale Carnegie once said, most of us have far more courage than we have ever dreamed possible.